Well, I invite you to uh, open up your Bibles, if you would, to Colossians chapter 3. That's where we've been. If you don't uh, own a Bible, don't have one, there should be one in the seat in front of you. If not, one of our uh, ushers can, can come and grab you one. We'd love to have you follow along, make sure I'm not making this stuff up. Uh, this week in particular, I want you to know this is coming uh, from God's Word and not from my mouth. Uh, if you were paying attention during the reading, um, we're going to have some fun this morning. I will probably tick off most everyone in this room at some point. So um, if you're mad, uh, you know, early on, know that it will probably come around to someone else later on. And if you're sailing through good in the first half, just hold on to your chair for a second. You get a little but hopefully I'm just teaching God's Word. That's what I want to do this morning. I don't want to share my wisdom on these matters, but rather God's wisdom. Um, if you look at the front cover of your bulletin, it looks like this. I thought this picture was a was a great, uh, just kind of metaphor in some ways for this whole idea. We've been talking about this grand overarching theme of Colossians is that Christ being the very center of just everything, our whole life, Christ is all and is in all. What does that look like? How does that flesh out? Now, um, how many of you kids, question for kids, kids are seeing in service with us two weeks in a row, I know, uh, hopefully you'll have a good time, but how many of you kids um, really enjoy the crust or the heel of a bread? Let me see your hands, okay? They're not many. They're kind of few and far between. Um, we... God loves us with one in our house, which is great, but I don't have to heal. That's the part that keeps everything else fresh, right? So we just give the heels to our kid, and then he learned to like them. And it worked out well. <laughs> so now he enjoys them. So I'm just going to do that, But you know what? To me, this is, especially as a kid, I actually learned to like the, the heel um, and the crust. But this, to me, especially early on in my life, this was the best part of the bread was to eat out the center and leave, leave the, the crust for someone else. Some of, you, um, some of you homeschool, whether you homeschool, public school, private school, or kids school, uh, you've got some element of school, a lot of young kids in this church, and I like this, there's this little, it's hard to see on the screen, but you can see on your motion better, just kind of how to write a seed, and the little arrow showing you what to do first, and, and, um, and even that was kind of a metaphor. I thought, you know, we're learning, some of us are learning, maybe for the first time, how do you put Christ in the very center of every little thing that we do. And remember back to when you first were learning to write. You know, you had to learn this step first, then this step. It was kind of, it, it was hard, it was a little bit shaky. It, it wasn't, it didn't just come with you. And if we dive into some of the topics today of family and on the job, it's going to feel like that for some of us. It's just like, it feels awkward, it's hard. Um, but Christ in the center of our, of our main week. Kind of the resounding theme of Colossians is this, that Christ is sufficient. We do this song enough. It basically just says, all of you, God, is more than enough. That's what the word sufficient means. I will give you sufficient gas to get from here to home. I mean, you'll have, you'll have plenty of gas to get from here to home. Now, what if you drive to uh, Montana on the way home? You, you wouldn't have enough gas, right? There's not sufficient gas for that detour. But, but to really think about, God's given us every last thing we need, in fact, more than what we need to achieve His desire for our family, to achieve His desire for our marriage, to 
to achieve his desire for what it means to be uh, on a job or running a business or living a life. And that's a powerful thought to think about that, isn't it? And that's Colossians. That God's enoughness is plenty. It's just plenty. And um, and that's what we're gonna we're gonna dive into. If if this stuff doesn't really work at work, then you might as well give up. If this Christian life and this new self doesn't pan out really well in marriage or in the home, if if it's cute on Sunday but doesn't really work midweek, it's a waste of time, isn't it? Because how much of our time do we spend on Sunday in church? That couple hours, really, that we're here on campus, and this is the only time it's good for, it's not really that worth it. But the Bible makes it really for no, no, this is for life. This is for all of life. And I had a book open. I was studying at a coffee shop this week. I had this book open that said, Preparing for Marriage. And, um, and I was sitting there studying. I had my, my headphones on, and I'm, I'm typing away on my computer. And this woman walks by and kind of turns back and says something to me. And, um, and I, said, I, said, I said, excuse me? And she goes, oh, she said, good for you. And she points to the book. And she goes, um, she's very lucky. And I said, she sure is. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to, but I didn't say it. And so what I said was, I just smiled at her and said, thank you. And when I laughed, that was, I thought, you know, we don't wear our battle scars. I'm a battle-tested. We celebrated 14 years of marriage on Friday. And, um, and I evidently wasn't wearing that on my sleeve that day. She thinks, oh, this guy's going to go get married. And he's reading a book called Preparing for Marriage. Good for him. That was her motive in saying that. But if you, could, if you could read me like a book, you'd see I've got this scar over here where I learned a really valuable lesson on how not to be married at year two. And, and I've got kids, and I've learned all kinds of things of what not to do with parenting. But I just took the, I just took the you know, comment and just smiled and said, thank you, you know. Time to go with all that. But Sunday mornings, you know, we come and we look good. I mean, I just want to look out, and uh, for the most part, we just look like, like we have our act together here. And yet, we know, think about this, last week, we talked about this idea of our wardrobe and putting on a heart of compassion. Taking kindness and wearing it like I buttoned up my shirt today. Taking humility and saying, I'm going to put humility on my person today, such that that's what you see. And gentleness, and patience, and bearing with one another, and forgiving each other. For our Yahtzee scorecard from last week, let me just ask this how many of you, not by show of hands, but by just taking me back to last week, how many of you last week walked away just going, Oh, I want that. God, I have faith in you this morning that you can do this in me. You can accomplish this in me. And we leave kind of the high and lofty ideal of church, of worshiping about the glory of God and saying, show me your glory. And in here, so much of my life makes sense. But how many of us on the drive home begin to trip up? How many of us blasted the drive home, but in our mind, we weren't being very gentle? And all it took was a little bit more pressure on Monday to come home. 
and release God back out into the out into a system, outside our box. Lord, have mercy on us. That's how I would still sometimes. You come in here and you see that you get up and get that. And in essence, Paul's doing some of the same stuff. He's talking about these high and lofty virtues, and here's what he's going to do He's just going to move right into the mundane. He's going to move into kind of the daily grind of things. Paul's moving into our mundane. He's going to take the gospel of Christ in our mundane. In a word, Paul begins to meddle. That's why I think some of you are going to walk away and upset at me. I hope you're not upset at me. I don't care if you take it out on me. Be kind. But I hope really what it is is that it's this battle that goes on with me. I hope it's that you just go, God, is that really what you're saying? I hope that drives you back to the word so you go, I don't know what I feel about the same. Fine. I guess I'm going to use We sang a great song here this morning called Surrender. You know, surrendering to the right person to the right authority is appropriate. We can get in our mind this vastness of God, this big picture of who God is, surrendering to God, and like, duh, you don't have to tell me to do that. That's a no-brainer. I lay everything down and I follow this God. That's, that's what I want our Sundays to be all about. The new life begins at home. It, it, it really starts to take shape and starts to make sense and starts to flesh out in other areas when it's kind of in the meantime, in the between Sundays, right? Between the mountaintop high retreats that you, that, that, that you might take. It's in the 8 to 5, but also then in the 5 to 8. Think about where you were from 8 to 5 most days, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, this last week. Just kidding. I know it's a very thing. We're on different schedules. But by and large, don't say out loud, but just think where you were for 8 to 5. Pretty big chunk of time. Now think from where you were from 5 p.m. to 8 a.m. And where were you in that time? Right? So just, again, a lot of times. Some people work for school shift, time shift, wherever, like house work there, and family's here, at home here, and work there, uh, have a little bit of time here. But those are two pretty big, significant chunks of time. And that's what Paul, in four verses, he addresses the Paul. And in few more, he really talks about our place and the point of the Nowhere is the new life more needed than it's all. That's just true. And nowhere is it more tested than it's all. Isn't that true? Man, it's easy to come and get along as a couple at church on Sunday. Man, it's easy for kids to obey your parents at church on Sunday. Or for a short time. Or as hard as just flush that out day after day after day. When my times are good, when times are really hard. When you're tired, when you're well rested. Now let me just start this morning by, by doing this. I want you to just take an imaginary eraser, okay? I'll take it for you for that. And I want you to do something. I want you to think right now, because here's where this is going. <laughs> As you begin to read God's standard, you realize God's standard's up here, and you realize that all of us fall down here somewhere really short. I'm going to lay out for you this morning the ideal marriage. And as a couple, you will begin to sit there. If you have any sense of conscience at all, you'll begin to sit there and go, whoa, whoa, whoa. 
has not Kids, I'm going to lay out for you how the ideal child should be. You're going to look at that and go, parents, how the ideal parents are going to be. And you're going to look at that and go, that falls short in so many ways. Here's what I want to say, church, body, family, all of us together, all of us are in the same boat. Can we just right now imaginarily write this on a giant chalkboard and take and take kind of the failure eraser called race and just take it and just erase all that crud off from the week, from the last six months, maybe for your entire married career. Maybe some of you are pre-married. You're not even married yet, but you're already thinking that I'm already messed up in some ways that are going to affect my marriage. I wonder if carrying all this baggage is even allowing it ever to happen there. So you carry around a trail of hopelessness because of that. Can we just take an eraser right now, guys? And that board leads to erase all of that? While you're watching that be erased, listen to these verses. He, meaning God, has removed our sin. As far as the east is from the west, east and west never touch. If we tell him our sins, he, God, is faithful and we can depend on him to forgive us our sins, he will make our lives clean from all sin. That's the starting point of this morning. That we come in here, all of us, in need of grace. All of us crying out for mercy, saying, God, at the start of this, so that the rest of the morning, you're not just filtering it through a guiltful filter and say, well, that's fine for the people, but I've screwed up too much. No one has that excuse anymore. We all come barren and needy and put a cross and say, okay, Jimmy, right now, I start over. I'm clean because of the cross of Christ. That's where we start. Now, there could be lots of elbowing going on, okay? I'm going to talk to husbands. And the wives might be going, and kind of nudging the husband. Be gentle, because then I'm going to talk to wives, okay? And they're going to be able to nudge you back. Kids, I'm going to talk to your parents this morning about some areas that maybe they need to grow as a parent. Now, you might want to nudge them a little bit, but be careful, because I'm also going to talk to you kids, and they're going to be able to nudge you back a little bit. Some of you in this room own your own business. You're a boss. You're still consuming this some of you are employees in this business. You're spoken to What's powerful is that we can come on Sunday is, as God's people, Christian first, boss, employee, child, male, female, uh, Greek, whatever, second. We all come to, to hear Christ first. So, we'll, uh, we'll get going. Here's what, here's what a lot of us want to get up to is this idea of I know I should be holy, but how? And again, we're in this practical section where Paul just lays it out really, really pointed and really specific and really targeted. I would say that the biggest social problem that you and I have and that faces society as a whole is that we simply cannot get along. Okay? I think not getting along is one of our fundamental problems. Think about it in your home. You and your spouse not getting along is the source of a problem. Sibling rivalry, that's problems. Work issues, office drama, all this stuff, that's problems. 
This picture cracked me up. The human poor seals. I mean, who's the last of the seals? I don't know. But they had to create a they had to create a federal law for poor seals. You can't even treat seals kindly. Okay? We just we have issues getting along. That's our that's one of our fundamental problems. Trace back a lot of a lot of hurt and anger and embitterment and things going on in your life. It traces back to this basic simple idea of not getting along. The single most important institution in our entire culture is family. It all starts in the home. And you watch civilization after civilization have a whole new road and civilization falls apart. We know this. We can see this. But it's kind of the power of creating power. In fact, if we're honest, we go, man, I can't even really get my own home together, my own life together. Much less start trying to build a better world. The Bible has a clear instruction for it. I want to start by just giving very quickly three distinctives of, of the new home. The new home has a new presence, and that's Christ. This isn't from our passage today, per se, but it sets up how we're going to look at the home. If you're a new person, it, you ought to be living in a new home. Your home ought to have new characteristics to it that don't just carry on your old life of sin, your old patterns of sin. You've come to Christ, you've trusted in Him for salvation of your sins. It says that He's raised you from the dead. Spiritually, you're a new creation. The old things you put off, you're trying to put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, generals, and patience. You start a new home. You don't have to move. You certainly aren't instructed to go get a new spouse or trade kids in. It just, this is a spiritual reality. It takes place. It's going to happen just like that. You don't need a pastor to come and bless your home. You don't need to sign anything. It can happen today. You just drive home and say, I'm going to have a new home. I'm going to live in light of reality. Some of the things we learned today. But a new presence in the home brings new power. Christ being in your home brings power to break free from the old patterns that you have. Having um, this, this other new distinction is this, a new purpose. Anyone remember the rule of thumb last week? The very last thing we talked about was the rule of thumb. It simplified everything down into a pretty short, simple thing from a practice last week. Some of you can choose look at verse 17, but you're not going to do that. You're going to keep your eyes up. Anyone remember the rule of thumb from last week? Whatever you do, do all in the name of Christ. It boils down everything we talked about last week, everything with new self. If you could just go and get that rule of thumb, it would just change everything. Christ, I know you feel proud putting your stamp on this purchase. I know you feel great about this next hour on this thing. I know you feel great about this email I'm about to send to my brother about this very different <coughs> That's the rule of thumb. If we could just get that down, we'd have it, huh? If the Christian life were that easy and just memorizing it and just go do it, uh, maybe it would be here this month. Like, yeah, we already got that. But we need the power. We need, we need this new purpose. As a family, if our purpose is to gratify ourselves as parents, gosh, we feel kind of lonely. We want to create some people. Let's make some people to live with us. Let's have kids. Does that ever work to improve your happiness if that's the main source of it? No. Are kids a gift from the Lord? Absolutely. Are they a fill the blessing? Absolutely. But if your family is all inward and all about trying to seek fulfillment in each other, you will fail every single time. In fact, you'll be miserable and you begin turning against each other. 
to begin to simply look at your husband or your wife and just say, so much more was promised than, than what I'm seeing. Kids, you're supposed to just idolize me and do everything I say all the time in exactly the way that I have it done. But, and kids, you might look at your parents and go, no, you might just need more. The same is true of church. If our whole purpose is to get together and feel good, we'll be embittered against each other. God lifts our eyes and says, the purpose is actually to glorify you. You're actually going to be a living picture of who I am in your family. It gives you a different perspective on how to treat each other. A new presence is Christ. The new purpose we have is no longer our own personal happiness. And finally, this new pattern. What dad used to look like, 
was a strong authoritarian. He was the indoor outdoor maintenance guy. He was the primary breadwinner. In many ways, he was the, the lord of the manor. His word was authoritative. He was the chief disciplinarian. And guess what? Culturally, TV shows reflected that. Common thought reflected that. We won't take time to do this right now, but if you just start to think about dads on TV and in the movies right now, you begin to see something totally different taking shape of what dads look like. Dads are fairly checked out. A lot of dads in culture on TV and media are just kind of clueless. Many dads are, um, are, are basically last to know things, last to be checking on, and they're, they're, they're super out to lunch on this, super out of touch. They're also very passive. And culturally, we've made this huge shift to where we are today about what a dad is. Moms are the same way. Wives are the same way. There are some cultural things that went on before, and some people are saying, we need to reclaim our biblical people. We're no longer doing this and run back to the 1950s. Guess what? I didn't live through them, but the 1950s weren't nirvana. That's not what we're trying to get back to. What we want to get back to is a biblical picture of what a husband and what a wife looks like. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. What does that look like? Men and women are different. Genesis 1 says that God created them male and female in his own image. Now the fact that I need to state this shows you just how far we come cultural. Because in a backlash to some of the negative things that went on culturally before, we try to say, no, 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 we're the same. Any of you who have a boy and a girl in your household, I don't care if they're their parents, or if they're your siblings, or if you happen to live with one or they're your spouse, you know they're different, don't you? No one needs to tell you that. Here's where we've gone wrong. Galatians 3.28 says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Are many women different? Duh. Yes. Are many women equal? It should be the same answer. Absolutely. Why do we backlash against that? Why, women, do you feel that sense of sometimes about just we need to fight for that because it's been done in the Because of the fall, there's been divisions between all kinds of groups of people, not the least of which is man and woman. And so we need to reestablish this idea that we're all one in Christ, different but equal. This is how God set up marriage. Some of you said these words on your wedding day, for better or for worse. You know what? For better or for worse, we're going to surrender as a church. And I realize there might be some steps of growth to this. But we're going to surrender as a church to God's will for marriage. And say, this is how God set up marriage. It doesn't make sense to me all the time. But because God said it, that's how I'm going to surrender to it. And trusting that he has my best in mind. Here are the overarching principles of all the relationships talked about this morning. is the idea of authority and subordinate. It's the head subordinate relationship. In all relationships throughout. Now that's not uniquely a Christian idea. That was that was present in ancient times. 
here's the uniquely Christian perspective on this, is that both the head and the subordinate in any relationship have both rights and responsibilities. Remove Christ from this, and the most powerful one begins to exert their rights and neglect their responsibilities. We know this to be true in business. We know this to be true in nations. We know this to be true in our own homes. But it is passing. You'll see it in four very simple verses. Rights, responsibilities for both sides, for both partners in the family. I don't want to get too heavy with this, but this is important because, again, I think culturally, I have been prayerfully saying, God, would you please help this sift through culturally what we've collected and, 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 and help us to see more abilities. So without getting too heavy in this, I want to just share with you some ideas. We do premarital counseling every wedding I've ever done. I've stood before God and before that couple and not made a joke of marriage, but said this is an institution designed by and set up by God. I'm only honored. And part of that is just getting a couple together. We do all of our premarital counseling in our home together with my wife present. You know what that does? That prevents me from blowing smoke in my office saying, well, here's what the husband ought to have. My wife doesn't go, whoa, what are you talking about, dude? That ain't how it goes down in our home. That way she's right there. You know what it does? It lends accountability. It lends authority to what's being said. Because if I just said this is how it should be done, the couple walks away going, huh, I wonder if that's really about this. But when Becky and I can sit there together, and by the way, we would love for the premarital that's one of the huge joys of my calling And it doesn't stop the day we get married. Please say, that's when we plan to begin. And we just continue to just mentor and shepherd couples along as, as the marriage group. Part of it is we have that model to act. We have couples that have done that for us. But the core role that I've just talked about here means this. It's an essential function that God gave husbands and wives to fulfill the marriage relationship. I want to distinguish that from core response. The core response is the primary response that God requires for men and women to allow these roles to function. And when we get those confused, what happens is we think, my main role is such and such, and we might get confused for the bigger picture of what God has for us in marriage. So these are clear to think about before we move forward. Here is God's core role for a husband. I'm going to start with the men's role. God's core role for the husband is service leader. I have to put servant leader because if I just put leader, we would get confused as to what that means. We all have different ideas of that. Servant leader gives a totally different, uh, kind of distinct Christian uh, picture to it. Let me read some verses for you. You can write these down and check them out later. A parallel passage to what we're talking about this morning is found in Ephesians chapter 5. Let me read from Ephesians 5, 23, okay? I read this at most wedding venue. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. The comparison, men, you're the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. 1 Corinthians 11.2 says this, I praise you for remembering me in everything, for holding to the teachings, just as I passed them on to you. Guess this, now I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. All through creation, all through the Godhead, there is a head-subordinate relationship. 
question here is for men. Men, who is to be our model as a servant leader? Well, from these verses, I'm hearing people whisper it, Jesus. Jesus is to be our model. Why is it important, guys? We don't need to answer this. Why is it important, men, that you and I understand that our headship or our leadership is to be like Christ? If you have an answer, fire it out. If you want to just chew on that, you can think about it for a while. But why is it important that we understand our headship, we understand our leadership, that it's be like Christ? What? I'm sorry. Christ served God, okay? Yeah. The Son obeyed the Father in all things. The second passage I read there from 1 Corinthians shows that every man has a head as well, that men are under leadership of the Lord. Let me read one more verse. Well, again, let's turn down, but we're running short on time, so I'm just going to read it. This is out of Mark 10. You can write this down. Here's why it's super important. Because Jesus had to clarify what Christian leadership ought to look like. Here it is. Mark 10, 42. Jesus called them together and said, Do you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them? The Gentile leaders lorded it over. They were in power. They called the shots. And their high officials exercised authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servants. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Men, if you are staying in the Gospels, which portrays Christ, portrays Christ, shows Christ in all situations, often. Because that's who we're to be patterning our leadership, our headship after. It's the creator of the cosmos bending down, picking up the dusty feet of people who will betray him in a couple of days and wash their feet. It's the leader servant. <coughs> I'm just going to get nervous. I'm really race racer. I know. I feel it too. God, help us with that. Ephesians 5.25 says, Husband, put the to love your wives, put the Christ love the church, and gave himself up for her. That's how it ought to work. Servant leader does not mean that you're the king of the castle, making all of the decisions in your infinite and unbounding wisdom. Okay? If that's what you think servant leader is, cross that one off. Servant leader does not mean selfishly seeking power and control so that all of your needs can be met. Servant leader does not mean becoming a passive non-leader, where you just disengage relationally. You kind of check out and go, this is kind of too hard. I'm just going to pull back from that. Servant leader does not mean that you can't delegate decisions to other people in power. It also doesn't mean wise that you can't initiate. Here's what Sir Peter does mean. That husbands assume overall responsibility for the direction of their family. And that they take initiative to serve the needs of the wife and the family. Here's what servant leader does mean. It means that you assume responsibility to maximize your wife's gifts and abilities. Should God bless 
that children belong, the same thing with your kids in the kingdom. If you assume that overall responsibility, and I mean, if one of your kids has gone astray, it's your fault, not necessarily, but you better have asked those questions. And said, God, I'm under you, and I'm under your authority, and before you, I want to do everything possible to the best of my ability to provide my kids to be who you want them to be, to, to draw out of my life all you've created her to be. That's what assuming that responsibility means. Servant leader does mean that you pour your life out and deny yourself for the sake of life and things. You see why we need God in this? Now, right before you go too hard, hold back. Here's a key thought for men. It's just the idea of taking initiative. Now, I know that some personalities in this room are like, uh-uh, I'm all over that, let's do it! I may not be speaking to you, so. Some of you in this room struggle with that. That's so hard to do. It's going to look a little different. I get that. We're not all blending the look, right? We just go and charge forward. But it does mean that we take initiative. Here are three specific ways. To be this church leader in your home. If I have a man ever come to me and say, Dave, my wife and I, we're just not praying together. I, you know, we're just not praying. I just look at the guy and I say, okay, what are you going to do about it? Well, we're just not praying together. Okay, but does that mean that you invite her to pray and she says, no, I flat out will not pray with you? Uh, no. Do you ever invite your wife to pray? No. Why aren't you praying? Take initiatives. Begin praying together. As a family, we're not doing family devotions. Dave, what's the deal? I say, well, that's not my job. I can't come to everyone's home and be a little devotional. <laughs> Good night. It's the priesthood of all believers. You have the Holy Spirit of God in you. Sit down and creatively lead your family in a worship service. My family understands. All we're doing this morning is a larger version of family devotion. And then how we behave in church is how we behave in family devotions. There's a time to speak out when I throw out questions and do things. There's a time to kind of sit and receive. That's how it ought to be in the home. Little pockets, little churches going on. Whose responsibility is that? It's not even the man does every last bit of it. No. Just like the pastor does every last bit of church. But it is the shepherd's responsibility in the church to assure that this is going on. And to assure that it's God's will. It is the man's responsibility to assure responsibility with that, to take initiative with that. Finally, to take, or secondly, to take initiative in terms of finances and need to provide for your family. That doesn't mean you have to be the only person working. That's not actually there at all. All I'm saying is that that is your responsibility. I would say the same thing as this. I make a point almost every night, this isn't true every night, because once in a great while I crash early, but almost every night I make a point of making sure the doors are locked in our house. That's a small, tiny thing. That's not a mandate, but I say the whole church needs to do that. But you know why I do that? Because I want to know for sure that, that my house is secure and that my kids are secure. We together almost every night go in and just do a last talking of our kids, make sure they haven't fallen off the bed or anything else. Whatever. But that's part of just, of just assuming that responsibility. Finally, this, guys. It is the man's responsibility in the home Create a place emotionally where things are okay. You know that when dad walks in the door and he's a raging fireball of stress from the day's happening, 
that sends earthquake tremors through the entire house. It doesn't. It just does. I use my drive home sometimes to go, God, please. Help me leave that behind. Help me now to, 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 to minister to my family, to leave my family well, to have energy and reserve, to, to pour great energy into my family, in how I serve them, in how I need them, in how I love them, in how I provide for me. What that means, if there is relational conflict in the home, guys, you set the bar and set the issue by pursuing the good. By pursuing making things right. None of us would put on a four-year-old child the responsibility to say, well, they haven't so far to me, I don't want to do anything. I'm just going to get inside of you. That's ludicrous. We'd say, you're just off your rocker. Doesn't take any religion to know that one at all. I haven't even seen the Bible. I figured that one out pretty well. But the idea that, that your head of your household needs to just go, this is growing tough, but I need this, I need you in this, but I'm going to make this, this happen. I'm going to issue this. This is a very quick snapshot of real life. A couple weeks to buy a new car. If you're, if you're more glorious and you're just king of castle and all that, here's how you handle this. You go out and buy what you want without consulting or considering anyone else's input, and you just get it. Okay? That's that's how that's how some guys do it. Maybe I'm painting a really you know dramatic picture, but some of us get that and go, oh, that hurts a little bit. Maybe it didn't go quite that way. Here's the passive non-leader. The passive non-leader puts off the discussion, puts off the decision, leaves all the research and shopping to to the spouse, and then drives the when the purchase is made but it's not working out or it's not done well. That's not assuming responsibility. That's not saying, okay, let's do this together. I'll tell you guys, just for me personally, I knew that adoption was going to dramatically affect my household. And early on, it was God working in my wife's heart to say we should adopt. That didn't come from me. That didn't initiate with me. But I remember hitting a point and saying, if this is going to happen in our home, I'm not going to follow my wife into that. I know my wife. She's not cut out for that. She doesn't want to lead the charge and have me dragging along behind. Come on, let's keep doing this. This is really what God wants for us. And so I just said, God, would you put this on my heart? Would you break my heart and lead us in this? Or close the door and say no, and I can lead us elsewhere. It didn't happen overnight. But God used the catalyst and just said, this is what I want. For your family. And that day, things completely changed about the adoption process. And I had to go to my wife and say, forgive me for not leading this. Now guess what? My wife has done a ton of research for adoption. She's done a ton of work in it. I didn't think I just grabbed everything from her and ran forward with it. We worked through it together. But all of a sudden, it wasn't, I feel bad, day, but come on, let's go to this conference and find out more. It wasn't that at all. It was, we're going to do this together, or we're not going to do this together. And I'm not going to sit on my gut sitting there trying to figure that out and just be kind of scooping along and waiting for that. That's what it means, guys, to jump in to fulfill the figure listen. Here's God's core response for wives. God's core role is not that you are a submitter. That's not your primary function, per se. It's a response. Here's what the word looked up in the dictionary means. 
to give in to somebody else's authority. In a word, here it is. Be perfect. Does that mean you agree with every last decision that's made? Of course not. How many of you don't work, do things you don't particularly enjoy doing? I know I'm not supposed to say that from the pastor on the every last thing I do. That's me. You know what? You're deferring to your authority. You recognize that you've got a boss and it's true. Submission, if I can put it another way, is this. Empowering your heart to be the leader. You know what happens so often in marriage? If the man starts to be passive and he starts to go, man, it's too hard. It's just taking a part of the game. I'm not going to do it. Or I'm going to slack off. The wife gets frustrated if she needs to step in the And God gave the kind of person that would the best work with me. And he allowed me to marry things. That hasn't become a best conflict, struggle, outside counsel, unearned prayer, tears, celebration. You don't get to 14 years, or 25 years for some of you, or two years, or two months, without effort, without grace, without keep going after it. Empowering the husband to be the leader. You know that ultimately women, this is an appeal between the woman and the Lord. I'm not talking about God at all. Wives, submit to your husband as is fitting to the Lord. You are honoring God by allowing and empowering your husband. All of us know a way to go alongside and push the button. And we can hurt each other the worse when we know each other. Isn't that true? Now we know every last look and cranny of what button is there. But you know what? We can also pray for the belongings and any wisdom to how to encourage my husband in this area. Some of that might be getting me out there with the purpose and passion of the women that we have. Your husband ever looks across from you, see you talk to other people, and has a wondering spirit. I wonder if, I wonder if she's fallen out by the weaknesses of that person. I can't tell you the deflation a guy feels when he has that. Families can get together. Women's groups can get together. Prayer requests can very quickly turn to dust. can very quickly turn to tear apart the fabric of what builds up a home and trust it. And it's not comfortable. Submission is a core response. Notice, husbands, that we're never, ever told to order our wives to submit. That means we never get to play the card that says, hey, I've got chapter and verse, baby, here you go. I tell you, I tell couples this all the time. If you're playing that card, you're not doing it well. If you have to pull that one out and say, hey, let me show you a verse. I just came across it. I just want to want you to memorize it. <laughs> it's wives, it's your husbands. I don't know if it's laid or laid on my heart. If you're playing that card, you need help. You just want to do Ask for help on how to make that happen well. Guys, we're not instructed to do that. Instead, we're instructed to love and lead in such a way that it makes the wife easy to voluntarily submit to your leadership. Doesn't mean every day, here's a few days a year, she goes, Yippee! I don't know what that's about. 
There are days when you will not want to do that. You shall have to deal about a third of the world. So the next one done in such a way that he says, my wife's finds it easy to, to read these verses. She's not so outside of that. But actually trying to break it to prove That would be the goal. Poor role, we're not going to go in this because the pastor doesn't take us there, but some of you are wondering. The poor role for wives, according to scripture and all kinds of scripture, I just want you to choose, because the idea of helper and homemaker, that doesn't mean women who can't work outside the home. It does mean this, though. We have a culture that's convinced a whole generation of women that you will not find a woman outside of the home. I'm sad to say that's just a lie. It doesn't mean that you won't find it just means that what that's done is it's really downplayed a person like my wife. Who stays at home and builds it up. Who invests in lives of hardship. Who works day after day doing an endless amount of laundry that never, ever, ever goes away. <laughs> and I don't do this with that. But you know what? I want to come home my wife often. And I want to put on a pink shirt and say, and not tell you people I'm with. If you made this work, I'm sitting fully in my dresser this morning. It's going to be awesome. When I first got married, I, I worked with a bunch of um, really nice but fairly embittered wives at a bank. My wife made my lunch and said, Oh, and I've got a lot of couple of weeks. Don't get used to it, baby. It's sad. No, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> no, I thought that's so sad. That's so sad that that's no view of marriage. And, and, and just maybe just settled somewhere way down here. Here we are, years and years and years later. I'm going to get my lunch, but I'm just tiny little way. I'm not saying why you have to make me lunch. I feel so terrible and so evil in what I do. You guys, you guys have no idea what it takes for me to stand here on the human being. I don't want your pity. I'm not saying I can do for you. It's a high calling. I would love that God told me to do what I do. But there's a time to honor my wife and say, man, you guys you have no idea what they're trying to find in peace. And then we can test to God and just say, praise God for it. The opposite of a helper is to be And when you compete for leadership, you move on. All the time to move on. And get to go. Here's our full response to husbands. Um, it's the idea of praise and honor. This is the male counterpart, by the way, to submission. This is what males do to submit. That's the way God orders us. And again, we're not going to take time to That's a good response. To ignore the head subordinate relationships in your marriage will lead to disaster and frustration. And to ignore the parenting, you basically help create the world of <laughs> The head subordinate relationship. Here's a word to parents and children. First point is the children obey your parents and everything pleases the Lord. 21 is as fathers do not obey your children or they will become discouraged. In China, uh, we've heard that a lot of times nannies and grandmothers will tell kids, you better obey or else the tiger is going to come in and eat you. We're at the zoo, and our tour guide is coming. 
And we're just going, <laughs> so all the kids are definitely afraid of the tiger. <laughs> and uh, I found a scripture verse, though, that's not super far off from that. Listen to Proverbs 30, 17. The eye that mocks a father can't have seen fun of mom and dad. That scorns the obedience of a mother. I think mom has to do something and just say, pop it at the end and just ignore her completely. Text this. will be pecked out by the raving of a cow. will be eaten by the raving. So now I'm still being freaked out by tigers. They're going to freak out at a raven or a vulture that you see that. You know what I think the message is here, kids, is that this is a really big, serious deal. Kids ask all the time. As you get older, you're going to middle school, high school, college, what is God's will for my life? Here it is, kids, in a nutshell. Here's the start of God's will is to obey your parents. That might be parents, singular. That might be grandpa or grandma, whoever you live with. You are to obey them. And God is forming in you and teaching you and creating a gem in you as you work at doing that that will serve you the rest of your life. The motivation for that, quite simply, is that it pleases God. Put a smile on God's face when you come. Ten Commandments give a promise to this. It says that it will well with you all days of your life. It's not just about obeying the feel out there. Parents, I want to quickly roll through this. Don't embitter or don't be hard with your kids. Basically, means don't push your kids' button. Now, some of us go, oh, easy, I don't do that. Let me run through ten things here very quickly. See if you do anything. Here's some ways you can stir up, provoke, irritate, or exasperate the kid. Some parents are overprotection. That means no trust, no liberation. The fence is right here all the time. By the way, kids and parents, you will always, always, always not see eye to eye on stuff. That's why God gave a head subordinate relationship in parenting. The parents are in charge. They're responsible. Your job is to go along with them. That's different. You'll always see. Now, my parents are real protective. I know they'll run over and nothing out. That's, that's Parents. Here's another one, favoritism. You won't get on all of these, but I bet I'm going to catch most every one of us in this room on a couple. Here it is, favoritism. This doesn't mean that on purpose, but if you are comparing your child to a classmate, to a teammate, to a sibling, to a family member, to how glorious you were as a child. <laughs> you know what that does? That causes frustration. Here's another one, it's just depreciating work. Some of us don't sit there and just talk down at a kid, but you know what? Some of us ignore our kids. When you ignore your kid, and you don't get down and you just sit down and look in the eye and just say, Pop, I want to hear from you. The message becomes, over time, I guess I'm really not that important. It's not what any parent wants to introduce their kid. Parents love their kids. We just don't know how to lead them well sometimes. Here's another one. Unrealistic goals. This is the idea of living out your dream through your four kids. And maybe you don't do this on a grand scale, but you might do it on some little ways. The time is changing you and convicting you and growing you. And that's where if God has blessed you with a spouse and the marriage is still together and you're still fighting strong, talk this out. Get real about it. Confess. 
Finally, a successor discipline. This is the idea of always, um, you know, uh, this can take verbal, this can take physical, this can take all kinds of excesses that aren't there. All of us know this mentally, but this is where we need the grace of God is to say that we want to discipline out of the spirit of loving correction and not out of punishment. You violate what my rules, I shall punish you for that. That's how an evil king will rule a nation. The loving parent who's leading the family wants to come alongside and say, I want to teach you that when you break this rule, bad things happen. Because later on in life, when you break this rule, really bad things happen. Please get this. I love you so much. Please get this. Please don't talk And that's the heart that I'll come out of We're going to end our service this morning. We're just going to actually we're going to continue it. We're going to continue it outside over lunch. I, I hope many of you will stick around. I've got some, some good food coming in just a moment. It'll be a time to just be family together and be with other families. Let's make an effort not to have a family that needs to feel perfect or fit together on Sunday morning. Can we just release each other in that? I'll tell you, I don't do that for you. I'm not here trying to put on a good job. I'm hiring. Besides, I want to get to know you. The second you get to know me, you go, wow, you're not all that. I go, duh. <laughs> so why start it off that way? Don't, don't, don't put yourself up there. If other people put you up there, that's fine. Don't come down to the other. But let's just be real with them. Let's just love on each other. I want to show you a last couple of slides and then it's this. I think if every Christian did what God did, did what they knew God wanted them to do, and be the results in this body would be absolutely dramatic. The results in our city would be dramatic. Our places of business would be dramatic. We would have doors flying open to go, what is it about you? What is it that you have that they want it? Instead, we fall short. When you fall short from dramatics, you get wrong. Some of us, if we're honest, we go, you know what, that's my week. At the office, it's not even drama. In our homes, we're so sick of drama. We see why this all comes full circle. Keep our eyes on God. It has to come from the new self. It has to come from the realization that we're free from the dead, old, Father, you are a good God. You're a huge God. And yet you're an intimate, close God. And you know what's going to happen on the drive home. You know what's going to happen tonight. And you'll meet us right there. You'll be available to us in our point of temptation later on this week. God, would you meet us there? Would you didn't grow things and change things in us? In such a way that we could look back and just say, God, is at work here. There's no other explanation. Would you help us this week as a church family to live out of the reality of the presence of Christ in our homes, in our marriage, in our schools, in our office, and to live in light of you throughout this week? We confess that we don't measure up. In fact, that's the, that's the sinner's song. We sing that loudly and proudly as we don't measure up. 
involves you to celebrate your extravagant love at the same moment. See this thing